Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So then, uh, welcome back to the Big Strong Lesser Boys podcast. Uh, I believe we're live right now on Twitter. Um, it's the first time I've, I've done this without Jack doing it. Um, I did just check, so fingers crossed that's worked. Uh, but look, welcome back to the podcast. Thought, of course, um, you know, it being a Friday night, would be usually doing one this time, but it's been a rather unique week, hasn't it? Um, a win against Swansea, a very comfortable one. Yet you wouldn't have thought so after the the reaction to that win, and then of course transfer deadline day and uh, Stefano Sensi still being an Inter Milan player. Whose fault was it? Was it the goalpost being moved by Inter Milan at the eleventh hour, or was it Senor Rudkin and his master negotiation skills um, not quite delivering? Um, which is kind of the the player that we all thought we were going to get, and perhaps the one that that we wanted. But look, get your comments in here today on the live stream on Twitter. We can uh, we can get you on as well if you if you fancy coming on and, and having a chat. And yeah, so um, actually quick mention before we introduce the boys. Um, we said last week with Mr. Jack Holmes that his good lady wife was, was imminent. Well, there's no Jack this evening and that's because there is now a, a new arrival, a first arrival um, to, the, to the Holmes family. So um, congratulations to Jack. Um, yeah, we'll have you back on the pod um, as soon as that's possible for, for you to get back on. But mate, congratulations from, from everyone. Right. Uh, let's first of all uh, welcome uh, Rick Flair to the proceedings here this evening. So, Rick, it's been a bizarre week with the, the win and then the negativity which surrounded that after Swansea. And then deadline day with, with no players coming in. It would send the most sane Leicester fan, um, at the very least, frustrated which of course you're not so how on earth are you feeling um if you could put together those emotions from the, the week that has just gone whoop whoop rookie style whoop 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 <laughs> um yeah it's been a very 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 interesting week to follow leicester city hasn't it um i feel like this podcast could go on hours because we did it what this time last week just before the birmingham game um, and we've so we've played Birmingham, then we've played Swansea. We've had the you know the the Maresca interview after that, which was very um, stark in what message was said, whether that was aimed at fans, the frustration with the board. I think it was probably a bit of both. Um, and then what's transpired yesterday with the farcical transfer window, which happens pretty much every 
January at least, and if not other transfer windows. Um, it's just ridiculous. Um, I mean, I've, I've lost my head a number of times <laughs> in the last 24 to 48 hours. I genuinely think, and I won for outrageous statements that usually don't happen, I think this is the beginning of the end for Maresca and Leicester because the trust will have been seriously questioned now. You, you only have to see his reaction in his press conference today. When you read the words that I think Owen had put up, he, he was obviously didn't want to talk about the transfers. Um, but when you actually, when you watch his reaction in the video, the bloke is saving, you know, he, he will, there'll be all sorts going on. So I just, I mean, his comments on after Tuesday and then now what's happened, if anything, I'm more behind him because the club hasn't learned anything, I don't think, in the last few months. So it's imperative that we keep hold of somebody who can do what they're supposed to do, identify players, get players in, train them, coach them, improve them. We need that because otherwise we've got the off-field buffoonery and then we've got somebody in charge, if it's not Maresca, who might not be as good. So, you know, fair play to him for saying what he said. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, but yeah, we'll get into it. But yeah, fuming. It's just yeah. an absolute joke. Now, he seemed pretty downbeat, didn't he? If you, you see some of the, the pictures post Swansea, which you, when you consider the, the, the fact that we won it and it was it was comfortable, it is, yeah, it is an interesting one to try and kind of decipher what on earth Enzo is is thinking. But but Rick, quickly, just on then deadline day, you, you yeah. mentioned obviously this one not being a good one. And, you know, if we, if we cast our minds back with Moller, Weig, Ryan Bennett, Nathaniel Chaloba, which, which didn't happen, um... I'm trying to think of some others off the top of my head. I know there are more. Edwin Silva. Yeah, Jeremy Boga we were supposed to get, weren't yeah. we? Um, is, the question to yeah. you is, <laughs> is there a club? I know we talk about sometimes how we're the most pound-for-pound pound entertaining club on the planet. I'm now trying to think we're probably due a, a title of probably the, the worst club when it comes to trying to actually get a deadline day deal over the line, unless I'm missing a glaringly obvious one. Um, I can't remember the last time we had a good deadline day. It's been a while, hasn't it? Um, yeah, don't know. Can't remember one where we've had more yeah. than one. Um, well, we can we can throw that out there anyway. If you can remember the last time uh, we had a decent player come in on on deadline day, then then, then get it in on the comments. I mean, Tielemans came in on deadline day, didn't he? Um, Sunchu uh, deadline day. Yeah, he was. To be fair, Sunchu was with Benkovic, wasn't he? And Benkovic, um, yeah, doubled up. Yeah. There'll be so, others, yeah. but, but it's always like, to come through like through pain and anguish, and it's never, it's never a surprise that we've got another one over the line that you didn't expect to happen. It's usually you've heard about it at least a few days before, and then you're still there an hour or two before thinking this ain't gonna happen, this ain't gonna happen, and then yeah. it does. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, maybe I think Tom Cannon was a bit of a shock, wasn't it? Um, on deadline day in wasn't end of August, 1st of September or whatever it was. That, I suppose, was a bit more of a surprise. But again, with one hand gives, the other one taketh, we were supposed to get James McAtee and we didn't. So I know, you you know, we're probably scrutinising unfair because we only care about us. But we don't ace transfer windows. We don't at all. What's the opposite of an ace? <laughs> don't ask me. Uh, can't play any card games. But um, 
yeah, and I think obviously the frustration, particularly around this one, is that this deal was lined up before January and we've still managed to, to not complete it. But look, uh, loads of comments coming in already. Um, we have got um, time for John to focus on the horses for KP from Dan. <laughs> um, Luke wants to know if you've been on the Prosecco, Rick. Uh, Jacob simply rudkin out, uh, Linda saying Robert Hooth. And also already there's a big shout for where did you come from? Where did you go? Yeah. Um, the, the pure it's a Bulgarian white wine. I'm on Bulgarian. Oh, lovely, lovely. And also, we have a comment saying King H. So let's bring in yes. our, our, our guest uh, for this evening. We've got King H. We've got Harry Gregory. Um, H, good evening, mate. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. How are you doing? I presume a lot more calmer and um, conservative than, than perhaps Rick. Yeah. Um, after being to the gym, yeah. Um, and working it off a little bit. It was um, <laughs> last night. Was the the thing is with all these is you don't really know. You know, it's an easy defence to make. Sometimes you don't really know what went on. But if you, the, the thing that baffles me is is he has been the one name constant throughout January. That this is the guy that Enzo wants. There's been the constant thing about we need to sell a player. There was no player gone by the middle of last night. You know, seven, eight o'clock. We have, we have, there's, there's no live link there to someone leaving. And then um, it looks like they've just gone, OK, well, let's go. Let's go for it and let, let's sign him. And then if you read the article that's just gone with Tanner from The Athletic today, it is. You go, well, what were we doing then for 31 days before we'd got to that stage of going? Oh, uh, Inter all of a sudden wants some sort of money, even though he's out of contract at the end of the season. Um, Leicester um, go back and forth before saying, yeah, let's go. Then Leicester in the end go, well, we're not going to fit it in time. Um, <laughs> just to, So was the was the reality that the, the, the really wanted it? But it slightly goes on to another thing with me is that sometimes it's not what said rather than what isn't said rather than what has been said or, or what has been done. And where you begin to start to fear is, is if, if it's the case of 2.5 million has been an issue FFP wise for us, what is the, the, the <laughs> what is the time bomb that's coming? There's no doubt this season's hard financially um, on the club. You know, the revenues are vastly reduced uh, TV money wise, etc. But, you know, if you consider that your losses in an FFP sense go from 35 million down to 13 million per year. Um, it does make you wonder. And obviously we had the story that I don't think you guys managed to catch last week before it went, which was the Dewsbury all thing last Friday night. Yeah. Which was yeah just that was a bit, literally, yeah, just after, hmm. um, you know, a bit off to what Brighton normally do and work don't normally go for a 26-year-old, don't normally use the media in that way or leak it to the media. Um, so, you know, the rumours are clearly building that, that Leicester need a bit of, bit of dollar, um, I would suggest. Um, mm. And the simple so, line is, you know, if we look, look really at the Sensi deal, what was the number one thing? I've, I've gone on a bit here into a rant I wanted to avoid. <laughs> we had to sell a player and we haven't sold a player. Mm. So, but, but that's but the this bottom is line. It, that's H, 
because obviously we, we, we know that the situation, right, financially, we haven't got loads of cash. But obviously there, there must have been some kind of belief in the first place that they would be able to get the cash together or otherwise why the negotiations have started in the first place. So then we find ourselves then getting into January. Cassidy goes back to Chelsea. Alex Smithies retires. So whilst nobody's actually sold, there is still technically two players off the wage bill, right? So th- there has been some money saved there. Um, and then, of course, before the, the January transfer window itself, if there was any area we were looking to strengthen, it was midfield anyway. And then Cassidy is gone. So we're now finding ourselves, what, the, the 2nd of February. Not only did we not strengthen that midfield position which we needed play, to strengthen, yeah. We're actually weaker, which is just to me H madness. And then Diddy out, don't forget. Well, Diddy's still injured, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, yeah, and Diddy's a bit of a strange one as well because he says he's available in two weeks, but Enzo says he's not. Um, the other thing as well that's been pointed out to me today that's quite a good observation is that one of the options in midfield is Atgun, who certainly in the last two games looked a far better prospect than he did. And before this week, uh, he's improving and he's getting more confident. And he definitely looks like he wants to succeed here. But the question mark is, is whether his pace uh, of the game, of the English game, uh, is suited to him. He's going to play enough games now to hit the the obligatory fee that we've agreed with Galatasaray because of the, because of the situation midfield. So I think the FFP thing seems to be is his, if we can push that figure that uh, alludes to uh, Atkins' signature into the next season or the next FFP year, it's clearly not as much as a worry. But you do think, well, hold on, we've just we've effectively said, well, we are taking uh, eight nine million. I think it is. Rick, is that right? Somewhere in that region. I think it's about that in euros, about six million. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, we're saying, you know, we're ready to spend six million on that gun. It's, it's, you know, this it's, it's, it's is a very valid point that not people may have missed. Yeah, so, no, uh, no, and, and no, but you are right with, with that action um, dearly. He definitely will now hit that that number. So, um, yeah, and as I said, look, we, we do understand financially it, it isn't, um, you know, that the best time for the club to be doing business but then if that was the case and they should never have started those negotiations with the player who would have wanted those kind of salaries in in the first place um rick in terms of the inability to to move players on again this is not new is it you know you you look around that squad and the amount of fringe players there are who are on you know good salaries who aren't playing at the moment largely the same players who are in the exact same position um in the summer it's a real problem, isn't it, for the club that, you know, they're, they're unable to, to move players on. And, and usually it tends just to be a kind of a, lo- a loan deal before they leave for, for free. Um, and it's kind of like we, we've, we've, we've been here, haven't we, for the last two or three windows that we're, we're, we're stuck with these players and we're unable to, to move them on. But again, going back to the exact same point, that there must have been some kind of belief that they were able to move those players on because they always knew from the start they'd have to do that to bring someone else in. I actually think that's the scariest thing of all of this, that they genuinely thought that they could move players on. Based on what? We've sold four players that we no longer wanted in the last four years. That's Diabate, Gazal, Schmeichel and Castagna. 
that four players in the last four years that we've got a transfer fee that you could go back and say, we don't want. They're first team players. They're not wanted. Yes, we've got vast money for the likes of Fafana, Chilwell, Madison, Barnes, but you know they're players that are coveted. We're talking about players that we no longer want or we'd be open to leaving. So mm. where was the evidence that we were going to suddenly sell these players? There isn't any. Certainly not. There's been no change in strategy. There can't be a change in strategy in the sense that we can take less of a fee because, you know, we're, we're evidently clear that we look what's on the, the book, you know, what's left on how the player's been uh, amortised over their contract. And that's the minimum fee we have to get. Otherwise, we book a loss in year. So I'm fascinated who the player was that they thought they were going to sell yesterday. I'm presuming it was Harry Souter. Well, Souter cost us £15 million a year ago to the day. Mm. Well, that over five years means that we had to sell him for £12 million yesterday, not to have booked a loss to be worse off than had we kept him and then tried to sign Sensi, which evidently was uh, a no-go. So it's absolute bullshit. It really, or it, it, they're living in a dream world because who else was going? Dennis Pratt? Well, again, who's paying any money for him with six months to go? We're the only club that would probably pay money for a player that's going to go on a free transfer. We would probably pay some money. We, but So, you know, Torino were probably wanting him, but they wouldn't have given us any money. So maybe there was another player, maybe Dakar that was very close to, to someone paying money. But the, there's very little evidence that suggested that we were going to do that because we can't. Now, there's mitigating circumstances, I understand. If you're close to FFP, like we are, seemingly, you can't sell Suter for $8 million. You can't sell Dakar for $10 million when he's got $15 million left. You can't sell, I don't know, come up with another player that we, we could get rid of that's still got... I, I get it. But what's going to change? Because unless you just stop paying money for players or stop paying the wages that we pay... You know, only a year ago, we offered Jack Harrison £100,000 a week. <laughs> Phil Hay from um, the Yorkshire Telegraph or whatever um, industry he's from, he said, he said that they, they couldn't, you know, they couldn't believe what, Leeds couldn't believe what we'd offered Jack Harrison. So that's not a sign of a team that, you know, bearing him on the struggles we had the, the summer before, a team that's going to change their, their waste structure. Now, OK, we've been relegated. But a lot of these players are going back on the salary that they were on if and when we get promoted. <clears> so you've still got that disparity, even if the likes of Mavadidi and Hamanson came in on quite reasonable wages. I suspect they've had to at least offer them a massive increase on promotion. Otherwise, you've got such a disparity between those that are already here and those we're trying to sign, and you can't do that. So I don't see where this changes anytime soon. And we haven't got a strong enough leader in Rubkin or anyone around him that can can offer any other change. Top will double down on his loyalty and faith because he would rather remove anything other than, than those he trusts around him. Fine loyalty and all that. Well done. But the common denominator is we've not been able to sell players now for years. And it won't change. So bollocks. <laughs> right, um, Luke has commented saying Leeds wanted Suter, but apparently uh, we didn't want to sell to a promotion rival. Um, 
Hey, John, what, what Rick was, was saying, it's, it's interesting because I was, I was going to say something similar just without the swear words. Um, but if you remember, um, back at the start of the year when we did the, the live show, um, I said, um, and I remember exactly what I said, was that I think we'll get promoted, but my fear will be um, that the issues behind the scenes uh, will not have been um, kind of resolved and we'll effectively find ourselves in the same position in, in 12 months time where we go into the Premier League and there'll be some kind of expectation or belief from everyone within the club and maybe even the fans that we're kind of, you know, that, that we're on the, the, the right path. And for me, this was once again evidence that, that nothing has changed. And we had this, um, well, reported end of season, um, what's the word, inquest in terms of kind of what went wrong. And we, we never heard the the results of that, uh, we certainly didn't see any change from that in terms of personnel. And and I, I find myself feeling the exact same, that I still feel we'll get promoted, but I still feel that that nothing has changed at, at the top of the club, and that seriously concerns me. I think that and until... And, and for as long as perhaps... And I'd, honestly, I do generally feel guilty almost like naming and shaming him, but for as long as Rodkin remains in, in position that the club's transfer activity is just going to be at very best um, subpar. Yeah, you know, I've I tried to bring up, uh, not so much bring up his name and um, mm. try and, you know, because I, I don't want to make this an absolute, because, uh, you know, pointing the finger at him and, and, and getting really stuck into him because, you know, th there are bits that, uh, we are we aren't aware of behind the scenes, but yeah, exactly. I, I I can't help but feel that the clubs of our size that uh, function well are doing well at the moment uh, within the Premier League. They have a kind of ethos, a philosophy that they follow that is represented in their transfer dealings. And under Rudkin, we have failed for that now for a, for a long time. Um, you know the. We don't really seem to have um, a grasp of, of value. What is the proper price for a player? What what they're worth? You know, we've seen that in Samare being the biggest probably example in, in recent memory. We did appear to get a little bit better this summer, but he's been fantastic for us, Fatou. But an obligation to buy at 17 million for a young kid that had only played less than 10 games for sport in Lisbon uh, for a team that are favourites to win the championship or were in the top three, you know, let, let's, again, it's not, this is truth that a lot of Leicester fans don't like hearing, but ourselves, Southampton, Leeds have a significant advantage over everyone this season. You get you get one shot where you get a huge advantage. So we we, we, we kind of, um, it didn't really represent the best deal, that one on Fatou. And I just struggle with... Um, you know, what, what are we aiming for when it comes to squad depth a little bit as well this season at the times? We've always looked quite short, haven't we? And, you know, it's kind of come home to roost in midfield this year. Short of probably a winger or two. Did we really look lower down the English pyramid? You know, Peterborough got a couple of, I think, Poku's one, isn't he, Rick? Um, the lad who's just gone on, I forgot his name now, Dorbell name, he's Coventry, just signed him but loaned him Mason back. Clark. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, but, but when you when we talk about FFP and, and Rick alluded to it, when you put the transfer fee that runs across five years, so Suter is effectively 50 million divided by five is three million per year. So 
He's four years in his contract, it's 12 million. If you sign a player from that sort of variety, from lower downs, you're looking at a transfer fee of five to seven million at tops. And it's not so much of a worry, you know? And it, it just stems from a leadership, a lack of leadership. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to operate. And, and it's sorely missing. And I think you bang on that there's been a little bit of kidology this year in terms of we should we should be Premier League uh, next season. Um, and, and we shouldn't really be in this situation, you know, and, and um, we've got to move on and uh, change a little bit. We've got to we've got to change um, it up, you know. There has to be a fresh impetus at that level for me. The other I thing as well, just, H, yeah, just on. want to throw something in. We are we've got to be, and again, I've I did some research a while ago on our rivals at the time. So lots of West Ham, Villa, Everton, Wolves, all those teams around us in the Premier League, and we the, them selling players compared to us, players that are deemed you know, squad players and unwanted players. We were by far the worst. Like, we, as I say, we saw about four in four years. It was nothing. But I'll tell you what we're awful at as well. We never utilised the free transfer market. Ryan Bertrand is probably the only player we've brought in on a Bosman in yeah. the last... Smithies we brought in as well. But, you know, it, <laughs> we, <Fuck yeah. laughs> we, we've never gone and, and, you know, and took advantage of the players that are there and yet the well last summer the summer before this summer we you know 10 15 players are going to leave this club on a free transfer that cost us best part of 200 million well just do the maths now okay you know that's one way of getting the players off the off the books fine good riddance to some of them but why are we not utilizing the free transfer because i, I don't get it Okay, is it because agent fees are high? Can you not spread those over the, the cost like you can a transfer fee? But for whatever reason, we do not utilise the, the free transfer market. And it's, well, coming home, it's coming back to haunters because uh, as H says, the transfer fees well, I think, are paid. I think, I, think, I think particularly at the moment, yeah. you know, if, if you think that the way football's gone in the last two years in particular, post-COVID really, is... Players have an awful lot of power now, far more than they did, and they're quite happy to sit and, and, and run their contracts out. I think another failure when we come when we talk about selling players that kind of went unnoticed a little bit was is everyone was trying to flog who they could off to Saudi Arabia back in the summer. I'm sure we could have found two or three we could have dropped off there. You know, that they, 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 they clubs were effectively um networking over there to, to get the, to, you know, to make the contacts in order to sell the players. Liverpool needed to lose some players. I know, I know there I'm using an example of Liverpool, but you know, you've seen this interest from Suter. Apparently he had interest from a Saudi club early, earlier on in the January transfer window. Yeah. What, well, you know, you'd assume why we couldn't persist with that. It'd be uh, one example. You, because we did it famously with Musa managed to lose him to a Saudi club. They, they were happy enough to uh, actually spend some money on him. Um, I just feel like you know we're, we're using examples here. Rick's Rick's come up with the free the free option. I've mentioned about why aren't we looking you know lower down the pyramid example, and you go well. There's just free examples where as a club we're not looking at opportunities in order to do what we need to do to move on and try and help ourselves out. You know the yeah 
and that's for me where again I, I we I use the word leadership is where we're really lacking. This is how we're gonna operate, this is how we're gonna grow from here on. Um Right, Rick, <laughs> I'm, I'm conscious that it's half an hour of, of transfer stuff and, and deadline day and, and Rudkin. No, but like there's 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 still within all of this, there was the massive fallout from, from Swansea, which we've not yeah. yet discussed, which was personally completely and utterly bizarre. But it's been something that's kind of been rumbling, hasn't it? under the yeah. surface for a little while in terms of the uh, relationship between fans and manager and, or, you know, or just the, the, the fans in general, it, it's been there and we, we've alluded to it regularly on, on the podcast, but I think it, it properly came to a head, didn't it? You know, after Swansea that you, you've won a game three, one, you've gotten 10 points clear in the championship and you've got yourself a, a manager who's, who's walking off the pitch with his, his shoulders slumped, looking defeated. You've got a stadium, which was, you know, probably a third full, um, mm. By the time that the, the the whistle went, and and fans moaning about the style of play, um, it's been honestly bizarre. And I've I've repeatedly said that I really don't quite understand it in the sense of, um, in, in just many ways, I don't understand why people aren't enjoying the football. I, I really can't quite understand it. I mean, it's it's not our fault that. Um, the other teams aren't very good in the sense of, oh, you know, it's too easy, or it's just pass, 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 and it's all this possession. So, so what? What you're asking the other team to be better, and and that's what what you're annoyed by. Um, honestly, I've been trying to kind of proper work out what it is that people are truly complaining about, and you, it's almost like you're asking either them to be better or us to be worse, so the game's a little bit kind of more, um, kind of even. But yeah, I mean, it's just been frankly bizarre mate and yeah i tweeted i had to check that we're still 10 points clear and that there's been a couple of head wobbles and some bizarre things on on social media which we know is the the best barometer of anything but but we've got to talk about this haven't we um where do you think yeah. kenzo's at and what did you make of the the reaction fallout to swansea yeah talk about the game itself to then get on to um to what's happening there i mean we that that's possibly the consequence of playing three home games on the spin i mean usually you'd be rubbing your hands together wouldn't you as a club that you've got three home games you know great chance to watch your team three times in quick succession we've got a very 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 good home record we've dropped points in only two games at home all season um you know it's your bread and butter it's your your home your pride all of that <coughs> and yet it's almost like it came to a head because it was the third game, you know, that our fans possibly watched what happened against Ipswich, where again, we had a fantastic first half and then we didn't take our chances and you saw is slowly, slowly retreating. And then, you know, history struck twice with what happened on Boxing Day at Portman Road. So I, I get the frustration on that one in isolation and I was frustrated myself. Mm. I get the frustration with the way we played against Birmingham first half, but then look at the team that we put out, the team I wanted us to put out, because as far as I was concerned, with the injuries, disruption with AFCON and what was going on, the league is our priority and it's great when you can give your fringe players and academy players chances and you still come through, like we did against Millwall, like we did against Birmingham and, 
again, you, you should leave that game against Birmingham buzzing because you've seen the like, you know, the academy plays unbelievable. So any any sort of frustration that that was felt over those two games should be left well alone come Tuesday night against Swansea, where again we've scored after two minutes. Fantastic goal that goes completely against this narrative that we are a boring, possession-based, death-by-football team and the opposition will sit back in their own box and defend until, you know, their lives depend on it. They were camped on the halfway line. Dakar, uh, you know, puts Jewsby all through and we're 1-0 after two minutes. And yes, it did get a little bit (coughs) frustrating with some of the chances missed. And then we did slow it down a bit and then they were going route one. But you, if you watch the highlights, which I know I'm a, a master at doing when I've not won the <laughs> games and stuff, I did obviously watch the game, but um, there's enough in there. There's enough that you can just completely argue against those that get it forward and, you know, it's boring because there's enough in there amongst that. I just genuinely think there's two things happening. There's entitlement which I'm guilty of, where we shouldn't be in this league because of where we'd got to and all of that. Well, deal with it. We are here and teams are not going to roll over by basically coming at us but being shit enough to make sure that we can score five or six a game. They are going to make it difficult, play to their strengths, try and pick holes where our weaknesses are. So, you know, we are at times going to be... It's going to be a bit of a game of chess. And then two... I do think our fan base, entitlement or not, we've got, and I've moaned about this about the Cabbage Soup Brigade before and people find it funny and others say, well, I'm of senior years. Don't matter how old you are, I don't mean it by that, but we have fostered and encouraged an atmosphere that's so diluted that I genuinely think we've got such a large proportion of our fan base that does not identify with football, with actual modern football, with the game. They ain't got a clue. So they can't... I mean, okay, would I rather watch counter-attacking fast football? Yes, but that doesn't happen anymore, and it takes two to tango. If we want to play counter-attacking football, another team can say, well, we won't let them do that. You know, Mm. you can't... You you have to set traps to do that. So, and the modern game is no longer going that way. So we've got to accept the football. If you don't like it, and literally you hate it that much that then don't come and watch us because, you know, and I know that's, oh, whatever. What are we going to do? Enzo's not going to say, fair enough, I'll completely change my philosophy despite being 10 points clear, despite clearly having an identity that's taken a shit show in the summer that was on their arse and being able to train some of these players into possession-based football like he has done in mere weeks and months. Okay, I'll do something far more exciting. No, ain't going to happen, is it? Why would you? Yeah, and 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 mate, I I agree with you, and I think it, the the word entitlement is a bit of a a strange one because I think it's completely understandable for this fan base to be, you know, quotations, you know, quote marks entitled because of of what we have achieved, and you you I don't think anyone should be offended to say, or you know, fans to, if if we were to say oh, we shouldn't be in this league, the reality of us being in this league is a huge shock, and it should never have happened. You know, so there can be an understanding of we can feel entitled, but as a as a fan of of, of Leicester, 
you then also have to understand all the things that Rick has just said. You cannot then fully expect just a club to play exactly the way that you want to make the game more entertaining. It has to be done in a, in a certain way. And the way that Enzo is doing it is proving incredibly um, successful. And, and also the reality is the bigger picture here is that when we get promoted, the games are not going to be like what they are right now because the opposition is going to be completely different. And he has to instill this style of play now whilst he can. Um, and I just simply cannot understand why people cannot see the bigger picture and how they can complain when you're winning, you know, 3-1, 3-0 or, or whatever it is. And um, Harry, I know we've, I'm sure you've written about it um, in the FOSS way enough times. Well, actually, I actually seemingly, seemingly remember a couple of articles um, that you've done talking about the, the fan atmosphere and the relationship. Uh, am I right in saying that? You, you have done that, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, a, a couple of occasions now where... Yeah, it was, um, it was a little while ago, and I remember it, it was very good. Yeah, well, the, the you know, and, and I kind of touched upon it in a recent um, article I did about the Cov game, was that uh, what's what occurred there was, is, and, and actually a Cov fan replied to the article and summed it up in quite a good way, which was, uh, you know... Us guys, we're 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 on our three pint buzz. We, we you know we're we're going up the lap. You know we we're on this way back up. We're really enjoying ourselves. You guys are on your hangover uh, as a set of supporters, um, mm. which I think it you know in a kind of quite um, precise way gets it bang on um, where a lot of people are in terms of what they feel towards the football club. I don't think the football club have helped matters on that at all. We could talk all day about how that's tick, uh, ticketing um, that I think doesn't particularly help anyone. You know, to, to I think we've got a mash. You know, we can bring up the Birmingham game on this actually, where the reports were that the atmosphere was as good as ever it's been recently, mm. despite a pretty patchy performance at times. Uh, and you know, the social media is awash with posts of people taking their kids for the first time or taking their kids for the first time in a while because they 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 did a general sale thing that's been a campaign by uh, Fox's Trust and Union FS. General sales always happen for cup games, but what it did is it created a level of noise um, around it so that people started to follow it up and say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go down. Um, and because as, as a fan base, we've got to this point where a football ground is, is should be in a kind of way, or a fan base should be transient. What what is as a child? You're in the family stand. You're going, and you work your way through. You go into the cop when you're a 20, 18, 20 year old, and then then you go into the West Stand. We've got a kind of situation as a as a fan base where we're kind of stuck. No one wants to give a ticket up. If you give your season ticket up now, you're not getting it. You're not. You lose all your away priority because the next person wants to come in because of the popularity of what's happened to us. And I kind of feel that's part of it. I actually think in the context of the Swansea game, uh, the early goal didn't help because all of a sudden everyone thought yeah. <laughs> we're going to roll these 4-5-0. Yeah. Swansea actually in spells uh, tactically were quite clever. The problem is their players weren't good enough. So twice they got caught out of a high line. Um, but what they did was is try and trap Winks and Ricardo. Then we struggle to move the ball on up the pitch. Uh, that slows stuff down. The players start to get a bit free. But the key thing about the... I've kind of moved on a bit from the fans to it, but the key thing that the fans don't necessarily realise with Enzo's team 
um, is that it's a work in progress. Um, yeah. What the mindset is doing is, is we're going, a lot of people are going, we're top of the league, we're 10 points clear. We should be beating teams 3-4-0 because the team, but that's not the case. The team as a, as a kind of, uh, as they're moving on, as they're developing, they're not there yet. They they shouldn't really be as as a, as a squad of eleven you know as, as a team of eleven players the, the the regular eleven that turn up they shouldn't be leading the table by top it's a work in progress and it might end up a bit like what's happened with Burnley it might end up being a bit too soon for them to be absolutely ready but I suspect that when teams go a bit more um, it's all about perception funny enough sometimes with tactics so again the Premier League you won't see teams try and do what they've done to us this season. Because they're, they're, they're just they're, their perception is they should be going after us and chasing us and pressing us down. You won't see them sitting on winks, and you know it'd be, yeah. it'd be really, on that side. It'd be quite interesting then, because then it will be, I think, quite an interesting and exciting type of football that Enzo can get. I think we're really good when we can move the ball quick enough that it goes up to the wingers. When when we when we move it on and it gets to and that's one of the reasons we've 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 missed out a little bit the last three games have been a bit edgy is you haven't got Fatou who can move that ball up that pitch 20 30 yards yeah uh that it doesn't need five six passes he can just go bang and he's you know and all of a sudden we're on the edge of someone's box but yeah you know it's it it, it i sympathize with Enzo i don't think it was necessarily the wisest thing to do <laughs> um because we can see how media perception not just from Leicester but even outside of Leicester that's happened on social media this week with it there's been a lot of calls about how ungrateful we are as a set as a fan base um mm. so you do wonder about you know what 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 does the perception of Enzo because I think you know we always people just kind of look at the outside not really on the inside don't they uh, and yeah you know at Leicester that's quite an interesting um interesting difference between what fans might think on the inside about the club as to what people think on the outside yeah um a few comments as well luke 10 points clear uh boo relegated um clap players off uh, i think it was alluding to the the last game last season where people stayed to, to clap not everyone um but a fair point uh darren Izzard personally think it's been a pleasure to watch under enzo darren i agree and uh, uh the one only rob tanner uh, is is on the stream. Good evening, Rob. Uh, he says Enzo would be heartened to hear this because I th- think he feels some fans don't get his idea. And um, you know, Rick, just picking up on on a few points from from H, uh, loads of good ones there. And I think that um, again, in terms of this work in progress, also need to remember this is Enzo's first year as a manager as well. I know he was at, at Palmer, but you know he's also a work in progress as, as a manager and, and be working things out um, from that side of things. And then this, you know. Again, almost the, the entitlement, but the, the perception that we should be winning, this is really easy. We've played 29 games. Seven of them we haven't won. It's not like we're winning three or four nil every time it's boring. There has been a number of games where we have been pushed and challenged. So this perception of, oh, it's boring because we just turn up and win. Well, that's not true, is it? We, we might be clear, but there's been, you know, at least a third of the games this season where we've had to really work hard for it. So, you know, that feeling towards oh it just turns up and it's just another win that shouldn't be how we're feeling we're having to work for it still I mean we were on the back of we lost at Coventry and drew at Ipswich so you know I was just relieved that we'd beat Swansea 
that we'd gone one nil up early on and then we were you know we were creating chances i obviously there was, it was in the back of my mind we've got to take another chance we've got to be two nil here because you know th there is still that little bit of jeopardy there even in games that aren't as you know as obviously difficult to to navigate but three four goals in a game at this level is unreasonable to expect every game i'm guilty of doing it because i do want us to put teams away properly put them away give them a hiding but you know that's just being greedy and almost you expect it because of how good we are the majority of the time most games we we've sort of said oh that could have been five or six that game against swansea genuinely should have been five or six Dakar missed one of the easiest chances I've ever seen. And Jewsbury all had one that was even easier, but was probably blindsided by it from a sticking your foot out in the net. It Overall, we're not going to score every chance. If these players were as good as they were at finishing, as we expect them to be, we wouldn't be in this league. You know, there's got to be a, an element of realism here that they're not going to score every chance, however easy some of those chances are. That the whole ethos of Moreska's game plan is, you know, you 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 take hold of the ball and you use it and you use it and you use it, and then you create chances so that you score more goals than the other team. If that player it, it doesn't matter who scores, which I mean I'm I'm a little bit at times critical that I don't think we create enough chances for our striker and possibly wingers who are naturally better finishers than central midfielders and other players. And I think that might be another part of the reason why we don't finish our chances as much. You're giving the chances to players who aren't natural finishers. So you can't expect them to score every chance. If you give your striker four chances a game, he'll put one away. And if he doesn't put one away, he's probably not good enough. Do our strikers get four chances a game? No. Does Jusby all get four chances a game? Yes. Does Ndidi or the other person get four chances? Probably. So, unfortunately, the system we play, we create chances by creating space and others going in. It's all about just getting goals and winning games. I want a five, six, seven. Hopefully we get it at some point. But I genuinely don't think you can come away from that Swansea game that annoying. It was, you know, from chance creation, unbelievable. I'd be more concerned if we didn't create the chances. That would be the real problem. You're on mute, pal. There we are. <laughs> I um, think... Um... I was just to say, sorry, quickly, H. Um, there's this thing as well as with football, no matter what level you play, whether you're, you're Premier League or Sunday League, it's got this common phrase of like, oh, we've dropped down to their level. And again, I feel like, you know, in terms of Rick, what you were just saying there, again, you have to remember now, if you're playing against Man City or whoever, you've got that right to know what, this is a big game. And, you know, and again, it's, when we're talking about fans saying, oh, can't really get up for it, a home game against Rotherham. Like, that's fair enough. And I understand that. But you've also got to look at it from the players' perspective as well, right? You know, if they've also been used to, to playing those games and then suddenly they're playing in front of a subdued atmosphere against the likes of Rotherham. And I'm sorry, Rotherham fans, to name you, you twice. Again, you know, for the players to either raise their level to get up for it or, you know, again, in terms of missing those chances because you're just not quite, you know, 
you know, engaged like you perhaps would like the, the team to be. Again, you know, people would say, well, that's, that's, that's nonsense or a rubbish excuse. But again, H, I, I think that kind of is part of it as well, that, you know, when these players have to step up, which they're going to have to do next season in the Premier League, they will produce better performances than what they are, you know, when against a, a team where they're, they're expected to win. I do genuinely believe that. Yeah, I, I I agree on that point. You know that that's that's just the nature of sport, isn't it? Effectively, if you've got to play a better level of opposition, you you raise yourself with it. And I know people don't like hearing it, but complacency certainly applies um, to a degree um, within you know within football. Where uh, well, you only have to look to an extent at, at the cup this weekend um, with the various teams that uh, have upsets, etc. You know, the one one point I was going to come on to was is that when you play Man City, which is obviously where Enzo takes his inspiration from, is is you know where he's coached before. You hate playing against them because they effectively suffocate you with how they keep the ball. You know, at some point during that game, they're going to score. Um, and if it, if if it's not through the guys who are on the pitch, the bench is going to come on. Your legs are going to get tired, and and I often think it is very much like that you know i know it sounds arrogant to say oh you're the man city of, of the championship but there's definitely that nature to it and it's ironic mm. in a way because there's definitely sure. a nature of the sort of the man city type atmosphere in the crowd as well uh you know that they often get <laughs> leveled at them that, that they're not loud enough they don't get involved in the games and it takes them to play the, the you know the higher uh opposition opponents in europe before they start to get whipped up you know that, that that's that you know I think that's one part of it. It is we do score late goals. You know, you can't you can't deny that. Um, I do have reservations about when push comes to shove and you have to part your tactics and you have to roll your sleeves up. We're still suffering the habits that we've had. Uh, I call it Rogers PTSD um, set pieces <laughs> and, and and players who can't quite get it over the line. Kind of brings me back to the point about being a work in progress. You know. These players will learn it over time. The thing is, is someone's going to be an interesting one. Is it six players go? The FFP situation doesn't look great. I can't imagine any of them after this January transfer when they're being kept on now. I, uh, you know, the clear the, the the wages situation, the wages that they will go back onto and therefore expect because of the promotion. You know, their 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 wages will go back up from their championship where they've been docked. I don't see signing. Uh, keeping on anyone, which would be quite sad with, with Vardy and Albright in particular. Um, but there, be, there will be new players that, that come in next season um, that will be of a technical ability that can push us on. That, I mm. think that will be a red line for our, our recruitment going forward will be technical ability. That's Enzo's best. That's the best thing he's done is there's players that you would never expect to have been able to play this type of football, Vestergaard being one. Um, jokingly, everyone calls him Beckenbauer, but the way he does move the ball from the back is very impressive. Um, I'd say Ricardo, a guy who we thought were going to be an injury issue uh, this season with the relentless nature of the championship, played him inverted. He doesn't seem to get injured anymore. Justin's developed as the season's gone on. He's got into the system. I'd say as far as that he's actually ended up being a better option than Doyle. Um, you know, that's that's the uh, 
the the real thing that Enzo's excelled at this season is is the the coaching of players who were previously on the scrap heap and being able to implement a style so quickly. Mm. Rick, going back to a, a point you made at the start in terms of worried that it's the beginning of the end for Enzo. Yeah. Um, so we've spoken about his demeanour post-Swansea. We've seen clips today of his press conference where he's been repeatedly asked about his his feelings towards the, the, the transfer window and the failure to, to bring someone in. I mean, again, you know, to, to many... I suppose non Leicester fans, this would be a bizarre question to ask when you consider we're 10 points clear. But should we be worried about Enzo um, and his. Again, because I, I don't know what the quite what the question is, but should should we be worried about Enzo's future? No matter who, who who's in control of that, whether it's a his, him decision or a, a club relationship decision, should we be concerned? Yes, I think so. Um, Do you think he's it, the kind of manager who would walk away? He's Italian. You Even know, though they we're 10 points clear? They resign at a drop of a hat. You know, they're, they're, they ain't bothered. They're not little Northern Irish men who all sit and wait for their 10 mil. <laughs> they will go. They will. You know, look, look through look through the Italian leagues. They they change managers, not just because of the trigger-happy chairman, usually because the managers have had enough. They've had an argument with someone and pissed off. Um, I don't think he's probably going to do that just yet because he's building a reputation um, and he has got to be a little bit careful that he doesn't come across as somebody who's very egotistical. But I think he's built enough in his reputation already that that stint at Palmer is long gone. What he's done at Leicester has been very impressive, and he's probably a promotion away from basically being pretty bulletproof in then standing by his philosophies and principles. And if he's lost the trust with our club already, which is a shocking state of affairs, then he may well think, I don't know whether I want to risk getting battered next season um, and then his reputation quickly changing. Um, I hope he doesn't. I really hope that I'm being overdramatic here and I really hope that the club have a plan for the summer and beyond that isn't basically hoping and praying that they can just about survive FFP, PSR, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I, I get a bit confused about what um, regulations we're having to adhere to here because we're in the championship at the minute that, you know, we've probably only submitted our 22, 23 accounts. I presume if we'd breached those, we'd have known about it by now. So we, we'll, we'll be back then trying to adhere to, yeah, EFL this year and then going into the Premier League next year. But I just hope that it all, there's a plan. But if I was Enzo, based on the fact that he said at the start of January that it was news to him that we were in this financial situation, some of us fans will say, well, you're naive. You know, what do you expect in this current climate and with the problems Leicester have already had pre him getting here? Well, he may well look at the problems that we've already had before him getting here and see that if Rudkin, Top, the board, everyone says, no, it's fine, we'll sell players this summer. I say, well, you haven't sold any the year I've been here. You didn't sell any the year before. You didn't mm. sell any the year before. You didn't sell any the year before. No. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I'm, I've already learned enough now that I just, uh, I'm not going to risk it. So 
Yeah, I'm not convinced. As soon as that bond breaks, football's so delicate between the effectiveness of a manager and the nuances with the squad, etc. I think this is the beginning of the end. I do. Yeah, and uh, this is almost the, the funny or bizarre thing or just a combination of a whole range of emotions. I kind of jokingly tweeted about it, H, saying that, you know, you can't blame Rudkin. He had no idea that the, the month of January was coming up so so quickly. You know, Rick kind of said there in terms of those conversations that the manager would have had and said it was news to him about the budget. Now, look, I haven't managed any Premier League or Championship football clubs, you know, recently, but I can't help but feel if I was managing a football club, you wouldn't be having those conversations exclusively in the summer or in January about the budgets or what money there is and what there isn't. You'd be having those conversations with your director of football 24-7 and recruitment would be this ongoing thing. So to only find out that you haven't got money in January or you've only just recently found out something, I find it very, very difficult to believe. Um, and again, you know, th- this relationship between the manager and effectively John Rudkin, it is delicate. Um, and the moment that does break down, or say, for instance, you know, the manager loses trust with him, he doesn't feel like he can he can get the players or sell the players or move the players in and out in, in the way that he wants. Then, as Rick says, you, you do feel, and, and again, I feel weird saying this, that it's the beginning of the end. That, 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 that Once that relationship is, is broken down, it's incredibly difficult to fix. And, you know, there is a perception from the fan base that, that John Rudkin is pretty bulletproof in terms of his position. And that and if push comes to shove, if it was Enzo or, or John, then Top would, would back the, the sporting director because we, we've seen it time and time again, which is the complete opposite, I think, to what the fans would like to see. Yeah, I, I, you know, it definitely looks strained, don't it? The, 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 the beauty of his uh, pretty much... Uh, interview today was that the first words were um, to poor um, to poor Owen from Radio Leicester where every week you speak about injuries, this week you want to speak about signings um, but I'm going to get asked this four or five times now um, and it will come out at some point about the Sensi deal which kind of like left a little bit of a linger there that you think well at what point will you say that because it doesn't really help now you know as, as much as the anger is about it the manager's sort of saying oh yeah we'll, we'll chat about it later it does does make you wonder um you know that it is pretty the, the the comments at times that started at the start of january in particular about what it was it could have been word for word what brendan said um back on a couple of occasions towards the end of his time um, you know, that all of a sudden I found out we haven't quite got the money to play with than what we used to. It's, I know it, the, the, there's kind of a little bit of a elephant in the room here that Top, Top got married this week, didn't it? Or was it last week? <laughs> I was, I, yeah, I was actually about to bring this up, but yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, you do begin to wonder. Uh, I, I've seen varying reports that it was in Thailand and then one that it was in Venice. So I don't know particularly which one, you know, time zone there is quite obvious to another. But the inter- we kind of forgot about it as well, what happened in the summer in Thailand uh, with the cancelled friendly and all that shenanigans as well. Um, so you do wonder what's going on for his brain. I, I, I think 
I don't think he'll go now. I think he'll certainly be the if it is an end of season thing because I think he's he, he he's clever enough to know that his reputation um, needs to be upheld. Promotion's got on the CV in case um, you know he doesn't do particularly well at his his next job because then you know he's, he's people will be looking at him to to do the same as what he's just done with Leicester in the future. Um, yeah, I, I am a bit um, I am a little bit concerned about where it goes in terms of Enzo and um, his relationship with the club. The, the disappointing thing, actually, from what he did on um, Tuesday night was he, he didn't go around the pitch. He's, he's made a point. He's made a big point of clapping, um, particularly the singing section, and he didn't even bother doing that. He, he just shook the hands of the players um, and then up, went off down the tunnel. Um, probably to try and chase that referee Keith Stroud who's probably the worst <laughs> thing about the championship <laughs> um, although he did as a favour on Tuesday with a penalty um, <laughs> yeah who knows we could be having the conversation in four months time about who do we get in next I think the, the, the other one that's slightly this is all conjectured don't really know anything was that <clears throat> it's good for, you, you wonder the chain of events that may occur with the Liverpool job um, that's going to be available, and yeah, does that potentially see Enzo um, Brighton? You know, Deserby could be one for, for Liverpool to plump for. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, uh, I, say, I think I think I think that's where I'm more at. That I would I wouldn't necessarily be concerned about him him leaving in terms of quitting, but I'd be more concerned if a job becomes available because before we'd sit here and say, well, why on earth would you go to you know, for instance, Brentford? you know, Fulham, that kind of club, because Leicester, when they're back in the Premier League, that's a, that's a bigger and better job. I know, obviously, biased, but but I think most people would probably agree. But now, if those jobs were to come available, he, I think, would now certainly be, be interested in having those conversations due to the relationship that is kind of forming um, behind the scenes. Um, Rick, a bit kind of tongue-in-cheek um, about, you know, John being at, at Top's wedding and rumours that maybe he was a little bit kind of either jet-lagged, hungover, <laughs> tired, whatever, which may have had effect on how he performed his duties on a quite key part of the year where he was he was needed to maybe be at his best. I mean, as I said, it's kind of slightly tongue-in-cheek, but also uh, a, a kind of a question within that is that this relationship that John and Top have now, say, for instance, I think about my working relationship with, with people in the, the, over the various years and the various places I've worked with. I can think of very few times I would invite people to my wedding of the people that I work with. Right. And I, I, I'm generally a little bit think, is the relationship you know, like this is the kind of the serious part within this, how close these two are. I'm not sure is healthy and to the point that it clouds tops judgment on who and, and what is doing a good job um because to, to to everyone and and i know and this was always going to happen this has been dominated around john rudkin and there will forever remain a, a certain degree of mystery around what the, the the guy actually does because his his job isn't as, as front-facing as what say for instance enzo's is so we're all kind of second guessing to a degree but the evidence pretty much is quite clear to suggest that he isn't the the most competent of, of directors of football. But as I said earlier to, to H, he, he feels kind of pretty bulletproof. And um, yeah, th this this relationship between the two, you've got a very young 
man who's very rich and very powerful in in top, who seems to be kind of being led by by John Rudkin, and I can't see how top can't see because I'm sure Brendan would have said so. And I'm sure Enzo and other people around him would have said similar. Or, or even, you know, Top isn't an idiot. He probably would have seen things on online or, or heard from fans. People are questioning this man. So why, So uh, you know, Susan Whelan, for instance, again, I'm sure she's flagged certain things. So why is it that this man appears to not only be bulletproof, but, you know, best man at Top's wedding? I don't think he was best man, but you get my point. <laughs> I mean, you raise a very good point. You've reminded me of something. But to to first tackle the scenario that he was away for several days during a very, very critical month also brings into light the other full-time positions that he holds under King Power. Yeah, He's still Academy Director at Leicester, I think. He's still the Director of Football at Leuven, who also have... Uh, a, complaining about similar things to that we are in the transfer window. He's also heavily involved in the horse racing empire. Yeah. There's three to four full-time jobs there. Mm. And yet we're biased. We only care about one. And yet he's got more going on. And that's not good enough to me. Regardless of whether he's failing at his job, whether he's good enough or not, alleviate him of some of his duties by at least bringing in a sporting director at Leicester that sits mm. under him, that can actually do anything. But going back to the point, what you've just said there about Top trusting him, I actually think Rudkin being a trusted um, sort of compatriot of the ownership worked well under Vichai because Vichai was a very experienced businessman. Mm. He was not only outside of football, where he obviously earned his billions and his empire, but he seemingly did a lot right at Leicester City. Um, and I, I think he probably needed someone around him that he could trust, but he also had a hell of a lot of acumen himself that he knew what he wanted and he, he was ruthless and delivered. Top, unfortunately, I don't think he's that person. Whether I'm being a bit unfair, I just no, I don't, don't think, think he is. I agree. You know, lovely bloke. I will forever be in his debt for what he's done and the generosity and what they've done. But... I think he needs someone more experienced than Rudkin at actually understanding football and yeah. what needs to be done. And someone less close to him that if then they aren't delivering, despite their prowess and experience, that Top can say, you're not doing well enough, mate. Off you go and I'll bring someone else in. He's got neither of that going on at the minute. And he will double down on his loyalty towards Rudkin, seemingly, than anyone else in the organisation. You know, thankfully, Whelan's still here. I'm sure, you know, she can't be completely um, kept out of some of the failings that the club might have made off the field. Mm. But I wonder, you know, how influential is she in the, the, the football side of the off-field antics? Because she, you know, it from the outside in, even well, they'll know more, she'll know more than we do. But we're trying to join the dots up and there's enough and there's a common denominator there that you can say, well, regardless of mitigating circumstances and it being difficult and all of that, nothing's changing. And if anything, it's slowly getting worse. You know, we won the lottery when we won the league and then we built this platform that we did a lot of good on. That wasn't It wasn't a fluke, but 
we it was a fluke in the fortune that we got ourselves in that no other club like us has ever done and ever will do. We had the chance of a lifetime to build something and we did or we were doing it and then within 18 months we've nosedived, haven't we? We've we've completely lost the plot and it's even harder now to get back to even just what someone like Brentford or Brighton are doing let alone what we'd done where we were actually one tangible success. You know, that that's long gone. That ain't happening, I don't think, other than we are the most ridiculous club. If anyone's going to win speak <laughs> again outside the top six, it'll be us. But, the it, yeah, I, the whole place needs a shake-up. Whether that's top shaking hands with us and saying, I've taken you as far as I can and goes and sells us, which I know, be careful what you wish for and all that. But, Again, that's not a reason to stick by if, if he's taking us as far as, as he can. Due diligence and all that, get get someone in. But yeah, I, I, I think he's he's blinkered in, in his loyalty there. Mm. And so, look, we're an, an hour and, and seven minutes in here and I, I feel once again I need to kind of say I'm a little bit conscious of this coming across as, as too reactionary because we are 10 points clear at the at the top of the league. But, um, you know, it is genuinely how, how people are, are feeling and um, maybe the Su- Susan Whedon conversation is, is for a different day. But again, I, I agree that, you know, there's this underlying tone or issue of a, a disconnect between the fans and the um and the, and the club and obviously and, and for me that's that's Susan Whelan's remit and there's there's lots of things that I'm not happy about and, and fans aren't happy about and you can't blame John Rudkin for that. Um but 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 Harry um we, we spoke before about you know the, the summer transfer window about actually how that was a good one um and there was a maybe a hope that you know they they'd learnt those those lessons from the from the previous windows where we'd failed not just in terms of moving players on but of course bringing them in uh, as well but um with, with with regards to the to the manager i mean let's not forget that had it not been for maybe some rumored failed negotiations and i'm i'm pretty confident in in saying that that it would have in fact been scott parker who was the the, the manager of leicester um so i'm very hesitant to give too much credit to the club for, for hiring Enzo in the first place. I think to a degree they got lucky um, that they that they got a manager as, as good as as what Enzo has. And and now once again, I think time would suggest that the Fasaru deals, um, which looked to be incredibly positive on on the face of things, were were perhaps lucky as well. And and you're looking around because I know you guys touched on it earlier that the, the the scouting network or, or lack of that doesn't really appear to be one. And it's this, this lack of football knowledge at the very top of the, the, the club that the top is not a football man. And obviously he looks to John to, to make all those decisions, but then you kind of look be, below John again, there's not really anyone. And it just feels that there's this huge lack of footballing knowledge with, within the, the, the club from top to bottom. And, you know, and, and whether I'm being grossly unfair, but it feels that actually the hiring of Enzo, which is, is, a fantastic appointment was also a very lucky one. Yeah, you know, the, I'd, I'd certainly agree with that. Um, depending on what you believe, at times the managerial situation, when Brendan left, people were presented um, to both um, Rudkin and Whelan to confuse matters. And which probably suggests that a lot of agents when presenting their potential managers across were thinking, if I can get them in front of top mm. and do a really good presentation and, and, and present my manager as knowing about football yeah. uh, in a way, he, he would possibly fall for the bait, which is kind of a little bit depressing in that sense. You know, 
Rick touched upon, I don't want to go keep going over the old ground, but the, the thing that really concerns me about um, this whole period is there's been a real bad talent drain of people at this club. Um, Paul Bolson, who used to run the sports uh, science side of things, Nigel kind of brought him in and then let him do his own role. It, they, they were looking at stuff with the likes of IBM when it comes to analytics, etc. He left, he kind of very quietly, you know, we, he, he left, unfortunately. Um, Milan Somaz, the analytics guy who we brought in, he, he was he was around during the FA Cup win. He left to go on elsewhere. That suggests to me that, that they didn't see a place for them going forward. Um, but we've just bloody built Seagrave, which is there for the purpose of trying to get these people with good football knowledge from different backgrounds and saying, you know, this is this is world class, you know, this is a world class facility. You'll come here and, and develop yourself, um, and we're going to take it to, you know, the next levels of in your career, and, and we'll come along with a ride. Um, the one thing I've always struck me about Rudkin without uh, again going too much deep on it is, is that in his defence, this is this is a common defence of, 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 of his or, or, or people of his. We won the FA Cup. We did win the Premier League when he had the role as director of football. However, we did have a very, very good uh, head of recruitment at the time. Um, you know, he also had the keys to the scouting, or I say, post-title victory. And uh, these, the summer signings weren't pretty at all, for example. How come no other club has ever come in for John Rudkin? <laughs> when, as a director of football, he's won the FA Cup and won the Premier League. When you consider some of the clubs that are probably the next level above, Newcastle United, Aston Villa, etc., have been through quite significant takeovers. And, and Newcastle actually quite clearly pointed that the first thing they wanted to do was to get in a sporting director, etc. They, they went for Dan Ashworth from the FA. Mm. Uh, no one's come knocking on John's door. Um, which makes you think I've just seen Darren Nizar just pointed out about Rogers destroying all of what he wanted his own empire and you know but that that kind of gives a lot of thing about the opinion that top can easily be swayed or easily persuaded um, I often think that one of the things that paralyzes this club is is that and this is actually playing side and off the pitch Criticism isn't welcome. It, it, rather than it be viewed as something constructive to make something better and make the club uh, better on the pitch and off the pitch, you see it all the time on social media. People, we we are very much a fan base that that is, gets on top of one another when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, yeah, you know, this looks. I, I, I didn't really want to completely go after Rudkin today because <laughs> we that but you just join up the dot. I think sometimes we see too much we just say right and that's that point on there with it with, you know the sensi deal you go okay well why haven't we been able to do the deal well the, the bottom line is you haven't been able to get rid of players we can't get rid of players because we pay too much in wages we pay too much in transfer fees so you know you, you look at who's the person to do that the person who should be running that ship should be someone 
who has a good understanding of what the values of players are, what the wages are. They should have good contacts with regards to agents and regards to people in different markets. Uh, you know, you see how that's moved clubs on and certainly moved on uh, in recent years. And John, bless him, you know, doesn't quite seem to have that acumen. There probably is a role for him somewhere, but, I, I, you know, the fact he's so close to the, to the number one decision maker um, worries me and uh, has constantly got my goat, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Rick, I am, I think, pretty much exhausted all my John Rudkin related mm. questions for now. But of course, you know, if you've still got more, mate, <laughs> seeing as we're on the topic, or if there's anything else you, you want to move on to, then by all means. Um, I think just echo what H just said there. It's a very, very good point about, you know, being coveted. We were the, you know, the poster club of all and sundry with what we've done, you know, over the, the last 30 years what we've won other than the obvious clubs we are right up there nobody else has won the, the trophies we have and the last decade you know what we've done with winning the league champions league run fa cup being disappointed finishing fifth twice nobody has come knocking for for rookie have they but you know we've had our recruitment heads of recruitment taken we've had our physios taken despite some suspect uh, <laughs> ongoing injuries. <laughs> We've had our director of finance taken mm. by Newcastle. We've had our head, uh, you know, the, the brains behind, um, you know, our turf, you know, the turf academy, John Luridge, is it, who's gone to Man City. We have basically had every one of our off-the-field quality and you know reputation wise people taken from us but john has stayed with us now maybe that's out of loyalty so thank you very much um but it is a great point that harry raises because <laughs> you can't help but feel that it's just a cushy gig for him loyalty all of that and there's never any real performance measurement to his position um I just, we're now at the point with him, we can no longer say no mitigating circumstances or no, he's not good enough. The proof is now what happens. If nothing changes this summer, then the, there's no more excuses. There is none. Yeah. You can't, you can no longer do it. A um, couple of comments. Um, interesting because Darren and, and Liam have both said something similar. It was actually on the agenda to mention this half-term um, signing session. Am, am I right in saying that they're charging 10 quid for the for the privilege for, for kids to come along and, and get some autographs with the players, which just seems, again, a, a massive disconnect um, between the football club. If that's what they need to be doing to, to be raising money, um, it's disappointing to, to say the least. And uh, as I said, the, the word is... Yeah, a, a disconnect and a complete oversight of of kind of what is important and, and what fans want and, and feel and, and think. And yeah, I agree with that. I think absolute nonsense, £10. It, sh it should be free um, and there should be more of them. It's absolutely what they should be doing to, to kind of re-engage with, with kids and, and the community. Um, Rick, there was another thing I was going to pick up there from, from what you said, but my, my 
mind and my brain has, has now gone slightly blank. Um, hate. So in the meantime, I'll come back to to you, Pat. Is there anything else that you you want to add on, whether it be Swansea, the the kind of the general mood, um, Rudkin, or are you all Rudkined out? I'm Rudkin out. I, I, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the point about the half term. Ten pound thing is is kind of my uh, wheelhouse, as, as as articles have said before on on Foss Way. The, the the there's a side of the club that I don't know particularly what their reason is for some of the decisions they've made when it comes to how to treat fans just as people. Really, I know I know that sounds kind of a bit melodramatic, um, you know, but. The, the worst thing you can do, a football club is a business, right? There's no two ways about that. Um, but a football club is a very interesting business because now the business will have such a, a set of customers that will keep coming time after time. Mm. Uh, but equally, you can't abuse that. You can't, you can't abuse the fact that you've got this power over them that means that they're going to keep coming time after time. The ten-pound half-term thing is a massive abuse. You know, it is abuse of that relationship. The reality is, is five minutes for for a child to see. Well, it's only two players for starters. I know back in the day, it used to be a lot more than that. Although I met six of O'Neill's squad at Leicester Racecourse. You can read from that, can't you? That what they used to be is a set of players. But um, it just really, yeah. The, I, I, I probably haven't quite got my thoughts in the way that, that I've managed to to collect them before on that. Uh, I thought we'd actually got a bit better at it this summer. The the the, the goal music was one that got on a lot of people. Clappers becoming optional. I know they are very uh, diverse, uh, dividing um, conversations. Mm. Um, but I, I thought they'd started to get more of a feel that 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 not everyone is cut from the same cloth. You know, that's one thing that's been quite noticeable on social media at fans that visitors this season. They've all commented about the atmosphere, about how oh, it's a bit, you know, it, it's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All of them have all, dead. you know, dead or, or, you know, comments like library, Disneyland type comments as, as well. Clapper Dome, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, you, in contrast, when we first come up, you know, it, it was a completely different thing. Every game felt like an event. The city buzzed. Um, the, the, the thing is, you can't... St- the one thing I find them is you can't stand still in this sort of stuff. You've got to kind of move with the times and you can't keep doing... You can't keep playing a song that's now seven years old from a 5 nil drubbing away in Portugal as your goal music. You know, you've got, you've, got to, you've got to move on. The one thing I feared, and this is it, is that the one thing I've always feared with a title win was please don't start doing and aping what them lot do from the bad side of the Trent, <laughs> uh, which is constantly keep going on and on. And it has left a little bit of a, um, you know, it's created a kind of monster in some ways um, that we can't quite, it needs a bit of a rebirth. That, that's where I'm, that's where I'm sort of out of it now. So I know it's depressing. We just <laughs> we try to round it up into something more positive there, and then I've, I've gone off into another depressive rant about. Don't, don't, don't bother, mate. It's bullshit, all of it. <laughs> um, now if we do want to change or, or lighten the mood somewhat, um, 
I would maybe like to, to play a game to, to kind of round up and, and, and finish off tonight. Now, obviously, we've introduced the where did you come from, where did you go, which has been a, a roaring success um, thus far. I haven't heard one complaint yet about that game. So <laughs> you wait for the stream of comments now. You're floating and, in. And obviously, Jack's not I'm here. Not today, no, I don't. Well, I was going to say, so you could, of course, you know, Jack isn't here with the trigger happy. Oh, there we go. We've got it on loop like usual. One day I'll learn. How many times have I done this podcast? Yeah, there we are. I've taken it off. Um, so, of course, there is that. Um, and then there is who are you? Now, the reason I mention this, I mean, first reason is we're going to play it. But second reason, Rick, I was telling you beforehand, obviously, when we started this podcast, Rick wasn't even on this. It was me, Jack and Jordan. And we thought, you know, we, we'd come up with this game. And, you know, the, the whole origin of, of who are you was because I'd done it on a on another radio station um, beforehand. And then I, it was almost like this this party trick where people could show me a, a Wikipedia page of, of any football, not necessarily Leicester one, and, and I'd tell you the answer. So that's where we came up with this this idea for the game, that it was kind of like I was the, the, the whiz at it. As has been proven um, over now the last year or so, when it's said out loud, I'm not so good. And Rick is ridiculously good. And, and H, of course, you'll remember with our, our European trips away to the various places, there'd be lots of kind of football trivia um, being thrown around and um, I think it's fair to say that that your knowledge I think not only rivals Rick's but it may well even surpass it and oh, and of course so. let's not forget as well we recently did the quiz just before Christmas and H it was was you and, and your team which in fact won that and I thought that was a very very difficult quiz so um, I mean I'm not sure how we're going to do where did you come from where did you go other than just playing the music but can I do a who are you and pit you two up against one another can we do that yeah by all means yeah we'll see um, you, you, i've got a pre-qualifier i did have a very good teammate as well in the quiz yeah but yeah i think it's <laughs> you, you i think you just you've maybe been a little bit um what's the word modest harry that you you're you're a whiz you, you know your stuff no doubt about it right let's play the the where did you come from where did you go no actually no sorry who are you and then I'm not sure if we want to do where to, I've not got anything planned for that. But we haven't had anything prepped for the last few weeks, but we've still done it. Um, well, do but, do the do the who are you? Yeah. And then whoever gets that, then you do the where do they come from? Where do they go on that player? So don't don't have any questions. Oh, okay, on, brilliant. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. All right, here we go. Who is your daddy? And what does he do? Who are you? You. No, not me, you. Yes, I am you. Just answer the damn questions. Who are you? Wait a minute. Who are you? Right then, I feel like I've not done one of these in absolute ages. But, as I said, I have to do it today with Rick and Harry, who I think are the two best. I think we'll certainly struggle to find two better people at this game. So, good luck to both. First question, as always... um, God's sake, sorry. I just literally just said, uh, one day I'll learn. <laughs> First question. Daddy, what does he do? <laughs> no, we'll never do that ever again. Um, is, of course, date of birth. Uh, I was born on the 26th of October, 1971. So that makes him 52. 
<laughs> Dan Sodi, this is bigger than Fury versus Joshua. This is this is a heavyweight clash. It is <laughs> one for the ages. We make these fights happen. Right. Sorry, I've realised I haven't given you another clue since then. Um, I've had one managerial job. Um, I'll forgive you for not knowing uh, what it was, but also I wouldn't put it past either of you for knowing this. I managed Crook Town in 2006. And that is my one and only managerial spell. Matt Elliott. No. Trevor Benjamin. No. Oh, right. I played four times for England. Ian Walker. No. Steve Auer. <laughs> Correct. Oh, <laughs> dummy! Yes, yes. <laughs> I knew you would let me down, H. It was the, uh, the Crook Town is uh, their northeast. So I knew the yes. chap must have been from up the northeast. I'll say the, the oh, next question was, dummy. is that whilst I'm from the northeast, I'm famous for playing for one particular club up there, but I was actually born in the city of their biggest rivals. He so was dreadful, yeah. weren't he, Pasita? Yeah, so but um, oh, yeah, Villa, Villa Park, we lost 3 1 and he played mm. center half. I can't remember him ever playing after that. And then we and then we managed to sell him, but I was I'm, I'm then not going to mention because that then comes on to the next part of the, the quiz. But yeah, oh, born God, in Sunderland, yeah. but a Newcastle legend. Um, let's now play this one. Okay, so I would guess he come from Man City. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, so are we not writing this down, or how is this quite working? Oh, sorry. No, I think I think <laughs> Amy has a go at it. You have a go at it, Paul, because you you did me. And then I'm going. I think he went to Bolton under Big Sam. Have you got a? You can obviously go with the same Rick, or you can go different. Well, I had my, uh, yeah, I know we got him from Man City. I'm less sure on who we got rid of. I was going to say Charlton. Rick, you've been done 2 0. <gasps> I hate. He did, in fact, go to Bolton. <laughs> yeah, he says you can come back, Jesus. mate. Rick, you're Man, out. I'm done. Yeah. He's you... done me. I'm, I'm Enzo Moresco's Leicester yeah. against the big hitters. <laughs> now, nah, mate, impressive indeed. H, yeah, correct. Uh, he played that one season, didn't he? 2003-2004, uh, played 13 games, scored one goal, but that January went to Bolton and played just three times before heading off to, to New England Revolution and eventually um, retiring. But yeah, Steve Howie, congratulations, mm. H. Well played, mate. Well done, mate. Well done. Cheers. So I suppose that does end things on a on a slightly different note. Of course, though, if you don't want to end things, I mean, I think this has been, when you consider this, just the three of us, um, a bumper edition, or certainly whether you call it bumper or just bloody long. It's been an hour and a half. Um, any other business? You know, we've still got to do it. So if, if guys, yeah. if you want to mention anything we've got coming up uh, or just anything in general. Oh, actually, sorry. I'm going to jump in and say any other business. Um, we have put it on, on socials. But, Rick, we are off to do a live podcast aren't we uh, next friday so a week today um at the heathcote arms yep. um with guillaume balagay a uh, spanish football expert um i think what close friend and, and confidant of, of enzo maresca so we'll be doing a special episode from there next friday yeah 
Yeah, 4.30. So anyone who wants to come down for a beer, come down. See us, see Gwillem. Or Guillaume. Okay, how do you pronounce his... <laughs> Guillaume. <laughs> Guillaume. Gwillem. <laughs> I'm going to call him Gwillem. I'm going to, as I said on Twitter, I'm going to do a little Enrique Iglesias number with him. Uh, and, and I, in fact, I'm going to play cat shit with him. I'm going to yeah. make him play cat shit. Um, yeah, no, it'll be good. And obviously, he's a massive, massive advocate of Enzo and his style of football. So I think it comes at such a great time. Yeah. I'd be fascinated to get his take on, on what's happening and hopefully put our minds at ease. Yeah, with, absolutely. With, uh, but yeah, really good to so come down. Heathcote Arms. Yeah, from, from 4.30 next Friday. Cross. You forgot Croft, to mention yeah. it, Croft. Yeah, yeah Croft, yeah. Funny about, what was it? It was I was on the way back from when we played Gillingham. Uh, I live Cosby, so we went to the fish and chip shop and he was in there. Gwillem was, he really? was in what there. Did he have? What did he have? Yeah. That's the question. What did he have? Did you, did you look? I can't remember now. He just, he, the, the chap who's the Villa fan who runs the chip shop, and mm. next thing you know, he had him outside the front uh, having his photo outside there, and no one had believed me. Because no one had quite heard about his um, that he'd moved over towards Leicestershire. No one had believed me, and then thankfully the chip shop chap put it on Twitter, so I was I was vindicated by that. He's he's uh, got he's got all, all of his all of his staff, the chip shop owner's staff didn't know who he was, so he was going around saying this guy used to do La Liga, <laughs> and they were like, you know. Now, I, I'd say he's got Cod Row written all over him. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, any other he had business, roast mate? potatoes, wouldn't he? <laughs> no, you, know, he you, you see roast potatoes in it. Like, who's, who's having roast potatoes at the chip shop? They've been there three years. Gwillem, <laughs> Gwillem's had the roast potatoes, one of them cheese and onion things. What are they call the Jack something or other. That's so what that's, they love. The, the roast potatoes, man. That's what they call patatas bravas. They've got, yeah. isn't it? That's, that's what it is. Um, but look, hey, this is his first time properly on, on the podcast. Um, well, we, we've I wanted it for a while. Yes. Yeah, go on. I actually did some research because I've got, got a friend of mine who's a Stoke fan. I said, but what can we expect off Stoke tomorrow? He said, well, the new manager come in, Schumacher from Plymouth. Yeah. They started off really well. They won a couple of games, he says, and, and he's given that when Stoke turned up at our place, they stuck 11 men behind the ball. He says, all of a sudden we're pressing up the pitch. And, but he says, since then they've not been very good at all. <laughs> um, but they do seem to raise their game against the, the high teams. They've, they've beat Leeds at home. They've drew to Ipswich at home and, and they, they were very unfortunate against Ipswich. They had a man sent off for something quite trivial. Um, so he, he's going on a score draw. Um, they've got a, Big lanky chap called Burger in the field who he says he's he's quite under. Um, the other thing was this week is on again lighter note. The X Files of the uh, Premier League midweek was quite funny. We had Madison with Mope, yeah, proving pretty much what everyone thinks of Madison. Then what everyone thinks of Chilwell because he decided to leave the mascot. Uh, to walk around the centre spot at Anfield and go and warm up with his teammates. It made him look like a donut. Uh, and then Aston Villa's uh, attempt at doing a Leicester firmly become the Brendan Rodgers Leicester, um, with uh, now beginning to slip down outside the top four. Uh, and then a bit of a humble brag. I'll go in Bologna next week. So, and watching Bologna, H's Tours is, is back back open for business. Um Brilliant. So we'll see how good Christiansen is. 
he, he won a penalty last week at San Siro. Uh, decent move for him, wasn't it? He's, he's not he's not going tomorrow. He's he's playing the the lights of San Siro. So I'm interested to see how he looks at that level. Because um, I thought he was he looked he started very very well, particularly against Saka. Yeah, one on one. I know we lost on that. Um, but then he, he, he got injured, didn't he? And um, bless him when he tried to tell the fans to uh, get louder at Fulham after being about, I can't remember now, 4 1 down. Um, that pretty much put the mark on him. Um, so we'll see. That's it from me. No, 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 we will. no rants like Jordan. No, no, we're 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 done for them. So yeah, actually, we must say you've just mentioned George. Apologies at the start of the podcast when I obviously explained why Jack wasn't here. And once again, if you missed that at the start, uh, Jack has had a, a new arrival. Is there now a a new dad? So um, once again, congratulations to Jack. So I'm sure he'll be back on the the pod. Um, well, I'll say whenever he can, basically. But we haven't mentioned George. Um, George has, has been very busy with it, it being deadline day, um, working at SES at the athletic and and um what ring in david ornstein's spell um at the athletic um so again george will be back i'm sure next week and will definitely appreciate me um saying that for him but look um all done now i can see harry wiping the eyes he's tired i think we're all done as i said one hour 35 may well just be a record um thank you for listening and um yeah back next week and we'll see you didn't what ask next... me if I had any other business I did at the start mate and then you spoke about Gwillem no only because you brought it up <laughs> oh, sorry mate I I, I, I'm finished now up. mate I'm now I'm playing music alright see you later no I'm joking I'm joking I'm joking I'm joking Rick go on no what I'm say is Alves has finally played for the under 21s tonight. Um, oh, was that it? You made me stop the music for that. Yeah, well, no, Josh Holland's just been messaging, <laughs> raving about how good him and Logan Briggs were. So, in light of Birmingham last week when we saw Cover, who had a really strong first half, and some of the other academy players, all the doom and gloop I've been chuntering on about, I love nothing more than seeing them come through. And they are the future. You know, if we've got financial fair play issues, bringing those players through and generating some income, if at worst case scenario. Uh, but yeah, other than that, let's go. I'm near, I've run out of wine. I need some hotels. I'm going to go with uh, vodka. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you as always. Remind cheers, H. Cheers, Jay. Yeah, cheers, cheers H. Me on, lads. Uh, yeah, next Friday, um, we're going to be recording this special with Gwilem uh, Balag. Um, <laughs> the Heathcote Arms uh, details <laughs> on social media. So we'll see you then. Uh, thank you very much, guys. Podcast Network.